0: I am Angelina Pratt, your host of Empathetic Witness, and I invite you to listen to my conversation this morning with an amazing woman. Let's start with you introducing yourself and your indigenous name, the meaning behind that name, and uh, and we'll take it from there. Okay,
1: <clears throat> so my spirit name is Ankoedokwe. That that means cloud woman. My clan is Megase, which is the eagle clan, and I'm uh, from Pequawkonigon. Mm-hmm. Not originally, but I live here now. Yes. And I just received my spirit name uh recently. Uh um I met an elder in Singh. That was in the spring. I went up. I've got uh, many friends in Wasak Singh and uh you know I, I just felt it was time. So um yeah Hector was his name. I don't I can't remember his last name, but he gave me my my spirit name Ah, oh.
0: yeah and, and what does that mean to you
1: well you know it, it was actually very emotional angelina it was very emotional when i uh you know when he was told my name because it was quite a, a, a an interesting ceremony and um you know, I, I, I felt really good about that. So it, it really meant a lot. It was very emotional and uh,
0: well it kind of lets you know who you are. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, that mm-hmm. sounds I don't have an indigenous name, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> or a spirit name. Um, but well, we can
1: see Hector and you can he can find your name for
0: you. Yeah. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. Oh, that would be interesting. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you're retired from the military.
1: Yes, I'm retired from a few things.
0: Yes, I know that. (laughs) (laughs) That's the exciting part.
1: Yes, well, I'm 62 years old, just to start with. I was born in Pembroke, Ontario, my father is Leo Alexander Jocko. He was an Algonquin man, and my mother is Wilhelmina Bar-Mackay. She's uh, Scottish. Uh, and my father and mother met during World War II. My dad was posted to Scotland and uh, met my mother and married her, <clears throat> came back to Canada, and they made a home in Pembroke. Mm. And... and um, Unfortunately, the marriage didn't last, possibly for various reasons, Mm. cultural differences. And, uh, you know, so my mom left when I was only about four years old. So I I never, um, you know, uh, grew up with Mm. my father my whole life. However, we did go and visit my dad over the summer holidays, because uh, he lived in Madawaska. Just so that you uh, get a better picture, my uh, grandfather and grandmother left the reserve here in Piquonca during World War One. My grandfather built a big homestead up in Madawaska, and he was able to do that because his oldest son, Michael Jocko, sent uh, his military paycheck back to his mm. father. Yeah, so that was very, very, you know, good of him. And so Grandpa uh, made a big house up in Madawaska. So that's where my uh, grandmother and her ten children lived. And then, you know, my father was uh, born. And um, yeah, so that's the connection with uh, going to Madawaska. So <clears throat> then we moved to Toronto uh, in '69 just uh, you know to get i guess employment for my mom and you know she just wanted a different uh, environment for us so i lived in toronto for 10 years so from 69 to 79 from there you know i went to school and uh, i joined the military from there yes. and then,
0: yeah so well i'd like i, I like the, the story i read about what inspired you to join the military and you were quite young can you tell us well,
1: yeah yeah I remember um I was sitting in my on my little tricycle I was only four and uh, we lived in Patawawa at the time and there was a, a variety store across the road from where we lived and you may not know, but uh, Garrison Petawawa is a very large base, and that's where it's situated in Petawawa. And uh, I saw a soldier coming out of the store one day, and that, that would have been 64. So the old uniforms still looked, the old khaki gray uniforms, and, uh, you know, they had the putties on. And I just thought, I, he just really impressed me. Yeah. And I looked at him, and I, I made the decision then and there. I said, "That's what I'm going to do when I grow up." So it was always on my mind. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And then, of course, it's it's funny how you know the Creator or the higher power makes uh, you cross paths with people at a certain time. And uh, it was '77. I, I remember it well. I was in grade 11 a uh, sergeant from the Toronto Recruiting Centre came trying to recruit young people to join mm. the army. Mm. And in, in that uh, that day and age, you know, they used to have commercials on TV, really mm. acti- actively recruiting. And I just thought to myself, well, this is the opportunity, you know. <laughs> I'm definitely going to join now. But I was too young, so I had to wait another year. And I got in when I was... Uh, 19. So that was 1979. And uh, I went away to Cornwallis, Nova Scotia.
0: Wow. (laughs) I love that story. I really do. Because I mean, and you're right, you know, when you make an intention, the it seems like the world conspires with you to make it happen. So even at that young age, you made an intention. And what followed was the events that led up to you actually realizing your goal. I mean, with respect with the military.
1: Yes. And ironically enough, I did meet an old auntie, and she always wanted to join the military as well. But her father talked her out of it. Mm. And you know what she said to me? She always regretted that. And that was another inspiring moment because I thought to myself, I'm never going to have regrets. Yes. If I want to do something, I'm going to do it. Mm. So I did. And of course, I did 23 years. And another uh, occasion, my friend, she was going to join the Toronto Police Force. And she said to me, do you want to come? I have to go and do an eye examination. I said, sure, I'll come with you. So she went in to do her eye exam and the surgeon at the desk at the local detachment in Toronto He says, do you want to join the force? And I said, oh, no, I've joined the military. So I was so proud to tell him that. He goes, well, if you change your mind, you you come back here. Because they were recruiting women as well. And I was tall, so, you Mm -hmm. know, I think he probably thought I would have been a good candidate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) That's really cute. (laughs) Well, so now... um, I mean, I think we should still continue with the things you've retired from because there's okay. some good stories in that. So what else? Sure. So you've retired from the military.
1: Yes, I retired from the military in 2002, and I was actually on council at that time, 2001 to 2003. So I had six months in which, you know, to uh, fulfill my term on council. So <clears throat> one day I was... Um, in Pembroke, and I was in the bank, there was a gentleman who started you know, to talk to me and I said, do I know you? He goes, no, but I'm Ron Hamilton. I own Malcolm and Devitt Funeral Home. And I said, well, ironically enough, I said, I'm just a month out of the military. I've retired only a month. And that's my second career choice. I want to be a funeral director. And, uh, well, like I said, it's, you know, as, as the creator makes you cross paths with people, and I thought, wow, mm-hmm. this, is, uh, this is very interesting. So he said to me, if I was interested to know what went on behind the scenes, please come and get in touch. And he had a gentleman who had recently graduated from Humber College. That's where the funeral directing course mm-hmm is uh, just outside of Toronto, Humber College, and I I thought to myself well this is another opportunity and I do remember it well. It was the September long weekend and that would have been in 2002. So um, I I thought about it over the course of the weekend and of course it's it's the type of occupation and career that is of the unknown. Mm funeral directing. What goes on behind the scenes? And I just thought, well, you know, I cannot blow this opportunity. So I phoned on the Tuesday and I made an appointment to go and see Andrew was his name, the gentleman that had graduated and uh, had an appointment with him. And yeah, he explained, you know, that it's nothing ghoulish. There's nothing ghoulish about it. It's all very scientific, which it is, mm-hmm. and, and I believe it's a calling. Yes. You know, you just don't go into an occupation like that, like sim- similar with nursing. You just don't go into that career unless it is a calling. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I uh, then I um, went to Scotland March of 2003 when my council term was over. And, you know, had a period of adjustment there. I think I was uh, adjusting for three weeks. And so I made a couple of phone calls to a funeral home. And I had an interview with uh, a funeral firm called Abercorn Choices. Uh, The lady there owned two cemeteries. She owned the monumental masonry business and the funeral directing business. Mm. And she says, oh, yes, um, please come in for an interview because they were looking for a funeral director. So I went in for the interview and, uh, you know, gave her a, a brief outline, as I just did to to you. And, uh, yeah, she hired me, and, and that's how I started my career. So there you go. You see, it's just
0: the stars aligned. Yeah, 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 so to speak, yeah. Well, what type of questions do they ask when they're interviewing for a funeral director?
1: Well, that's a very good question. Let me see if I can remember Well, obviously, if you ask a little bit about yourself and your your background and, um, you know, what made me decide to get into the career, which, of course, it was because of the military. When I was in Bosnia, there, you know, we did have a couple of casualties and one soldier who passed away from one RCR, we were involved in his repatriation back to Canada. So that's where it all started. Mm. That would have been... um, Uh, Bosnia 98. And, uh, you know, she was interested to know if I was to be willing to go through the training and the schooling, you know, and, Mm -hmm. you know, to make sure that I was quite serious. And of course, I did give her a little bit of uh, um, information on my uh, six month on the job uh,
0: training Mm
1: -hmm. with Mel Devitt Funeral Home.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that sounds. Yeah. And what's this, what is the training for that light? Like, you know, what? Well, it
1: was, um, it, this was in Scotland. So there's on the job training mm-hmm. and then there's academic training. So I had to go to um, the funeral directing school. That, that took me quite a while to get through that. It was very, very, very tough to mm. get that diploma. It was very, very uh, difficult. To get that diploma. And then, of course, I had to go on to the embalming school. So that's a lot to do with anatomy. Yes. But I really, really wanted to, to do this. I mean, this was my bag, just like the military was my bag. Yeah. So was the funeral directing, you know, like I say, yeah. it's a calling. Yeah. And, and I did very well. I did very well in my, my studies. And I actually became the uh, regional director for the British Institute of Funeral Directing. I was the um, Wow. You know, in that position for five years. Yeah. Wow.
0: So it was a very rewarding career. Yes. Yeah. And um, so, and was there any other things you've retired from? Well, uh, I used to be the reserve dog catcher for four years. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that must be difficult <laughs> because those dogs well, don't want to be
1: <laughs> Or cats or yeah. bunny rabbits but the big joke was it was the first dogless reserve cuz like when you're hired to do a job i did it well right yeah. i even had, i even had to fine myself cuz my little dog was running all over the place and you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I didn't get any complaints so i thought well i better put a fine on myself cuz he was you know off yeah. off the leash running all over yeah yeah <laughs> that's a good job and then I, uh, when I came back to Canada in 2013, uh, I actually went out to Kindersee, Saskatchewan. My sister had breast cancer, and of course, uh, she, she did uh, get treated and it has been cancer-free for many years. But while I was out there, my mom was there as well, and so I lived with my mom for the two years, and uh, I became a tractor-trailer driver. And that was, yeah, that was something that I always wanted to do, and I had the opportunity. Like I said, opportunity presented itself, and uh, yeah, so I went through the uh, tractor trailer school, and uh, yeah, <laughs> I did. That. And I still, I still actually have the license. Oh,
0: wow. that's pretty cool. That's pretty yeah. cool. And so now you are a chief.
1: Yes, I am. Uh, it's a three-year term. I was elected. March of 2020. And so, my term ends uh, March of 2023. So, there's eight eight months to go in my term. Right.
0: Oh, wow. That must be a really, I mean, all these jobs you've had are different and and have their own specialties. Mm-hmm. Um, but being a chief, I always say, I mean, I've never been a chief, but I've known chiefs. And, and my particular chief at the Athabasca Chipewyan First Nation is actually my cousin. And what I find, just from observation, is that you can't please everyone. And no matter how good you are, there is going to be someone that has a problem with whatever decisions you've made. So what have you found well actually let me just phrase my rephrase my question i know you're you're interested in sports and being athletic i also from the research i've done i i know you're interested in teamwork and being in parts of teams so as a chief how does sports and being parts of teams help you do your job
1: well not just sports uh coming from my various careers in the military Mm -hmm. that was a very big team orientated yes for sure yeah you know you have to rely on your colleagues and uh, similarly with the funeral directing it, it was all teamwork Yes. And and you're right, you know, you can never please everyone, but as long as you're doing the right thing with good intentions and with everyone in mind, you're Mm -hmm. always going to get people that are grumbling about something, whether it's, uh, you know, an actual issue or a perceived issue. And you just cannot please everyone. And the occupations that I have had previously, Ironically enough, technically have been 24 and 7. Right. Full service, full service, nonstop yes. in the military, as well as the funeral directing, round the clock service and yes. being a chief is similar. Yes. You're never on holiday,
0: yes. ever. ever. <laughs> yeah, and that's that can be energy draining, but also energy giving.
1: Exactly, okay. and so when your adrenaline kicks in, that's that's good because it, it it motivates you and it accelerates you into action.
0: Yes, yeah, oh, that's that's pretty. I think that's an honorable job.
1: <laughs> they very honorable, and although um, in my day I was athletic, I I am you know sixty two now, but nonetheless. If I can't jump over the fence, but I can jump over issues.
0: Yes. Yeah. Good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. You see an obstacle and you can work around it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I often say, you know, when we see things as problems, we tend to blame someone or something. When we see something as an obstacle, we look at a way around it. And it becomes more action orientated. Exactly. And I think that's how, you know, a successful chief will see things as obstacles and say, "Okay, well, how can we work around this? How can we make certain things happen?" Um, so that's that's really, uh, you know, I think you've been trained. Your your background has certainly prepared you for the occupation you're now holding. And and that's like life generally. Like the the things we do in our life lead you up to and prepare you for what you're doing today. And um, when I look at um, your life, and I remember when I initially wanted to interview you, I think you got a sense of, oh, who's going to want to hear what I have to say? (laughs) <laughs> and as I delved into your life I thought I'm interested in what you have to say because it is so diverse so different and it really is exciting you know like I I think you have a very exciting life and you've developed certain skills in the various positions you've held you know military tends to create structure. And your word means something, because you're relying on your teammates to get you through whatever you need to get through in the military. And so your word means something, you know, Mm -hmm. so and I'm and that's why, you know, when I, I often send email early on when I have an interview, but I was pretty confident you would show up on time you know, because of your military background and the type of person you are. <laughs> and and I, I was really happy.
1: Well, good. And and actually, that's one thing that not just the military has instilled in me, but my mother. I, I was actually never late a day in my life in the military, ever. You yeah. know, uh, and my mother instilled that in all of her children as well. She said, you know, if you, if you can't get up, for your job or to go to school, well, you might as well quit. What is, what is the point? You should never, never be late. And I always have that at the back of my mind, never be late. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually quite, I, I think, um, you know, in, not in, I, I wouldn't use the word insulting, but it's it's not um, in good manners to, to keep people
0: waiting. Yes, I totally agree. I'm a little bit of um. um paranoid about being late that I'm often 10 to 15 minutes early <laughs> yes that's <laughs> the way I am too <laughs> <laughs> because I want to be there I don't want to waste people's time I don't want to waste my own time so I make a real genuine effort to be if I say I'm going to be there at such and such a time I'm going to be there 10 minutes before just to you know I I'm looking at what if something happens? What if there's traffic? Mm -hmm. What if I get a call, and I'm delayed? I want to make sure that I'm on my way. Yeah, I
1: feel the same. And also because of my previous occupations, if you were late in the military, basically, you got three chances. And then you were classified as an administrative burden. There's something wrong. Oh, yes, in my day they were quite strict so you could actually get released because of the fact you know you were causing problems yes yeah because uh, if, you, if you can't show up for your job or for you know the training or the battle let's say yes. um you're let you're letting everybody down yes exactly same with the funeral directing i mean if you were late for somebody's funeral or
0: a, um, a
1: timing at the <sighs> yeah. crematorium. Well, you know, you're you're putting undue stress onto the family.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. I see. And it's a form of respect, I believe.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah, that's, to be, that's
1: the word I was looking for respect. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah I agree. <laughs> um so I I often like to also, you know, just in the process of getting to know you a little bit better is to ask specific questions that will that will get you to think a little deeper. And I'm gonna ask you three questions. And the first one is big or small, when you're looking back in the last year, what have you accomplished even though it was really difficult?
1: Well, uh, I've accomplished the relationship with the city of Ottawa in establishing an urban reserve. So we're in the process of establishing an urban reserve.
0: That's amazing. That's huge. That's pretty big. That's really big. (laughs) Congratulations. That's huge. This is
1: a small thing, but I think it's an important thing. And it might not necessarily be in the last year, but previous years. I've, I've had an emphasis on community beautification, and because of my previous occupation, cemeteries mean a lot to me, where our loved ones reside Mm. in the the afterlife. That is a very sacred spot. It's a place for people to go and visit, you know, to, to have a home for their loved ones. And Believe it or not, we weren't actually mowing the grass. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so even at our administrative buildings, you know, our important visually apparent Mm -hmm. government offices here on the reserve. And I just thought, well, my goodness. So I um, started a community beautification program. So all the the two cemeteries now. The grass is mowed beautifully every season and the um you know band office and health center and other buildings they're all beautifully mowed as well as our veterans monument area which yes. is located at the Pow Wow ground so that's another very sacred spot mm. and i've even um got flowers put on our bridge 12 beautiful flower boxes now that's a small thing but it's a big thing in a way to some people, you know, so, yeah. you know, when you come to visit your loved one at the cemetery, at their graveside, that, you know, you don't have to, uh, you know, trample through two feet of grass. And weeds. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's also um, pride in the
1: community. Yeah, exactly. And another one uh, I think of great significance, Angelina, is the fact that we have had our first Canada Day dedicated to a Grand Chief named Constant Penasse. He was my great-grandfather, time six. He was a Grand Chief of the Algonquins back in the day. He fought in the War of 1812. Mm -hmm. And his hunting territory was actually at the confluence of the Ottawa and the Rideau, mm. and so Parliament Hill sits on his actual hunting territory. Wow. So, he, yeah, he was a forgotten figure in history. He was instrumental in signing many petitions for land back yeah. for, the, for the Algonquins, and, uh, you know, uh, some of those petitions, of course, is what we have uh, relied on for,
0: for the land claim uh, that we are in,
1: in at the moment.
0: Great. Oh, wow. Okay, then the second question. I love all your answers. (laughs) So the second question, big or small, who did you do something for? Well, this is rather personal.
1: The very first day I was a chief, I got a call from an elder to pick up a prescription so that is what I was doing on my first day in office, going to Pembroke and picking up a prescription (laughs) for an elder who was housebound in COVID situation. Yes. Uh, And that's what I did. So that, that was a small thing, but it was a big thing to that elder. Oh,
0: for sure. For sure. And so the next question, big or small, who did something for you? That's a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's a more difficult question to answer because we mm-hmm. don't often um, we don't often think about
1: oh, that. right? Yeah. Yeah. well, what, I, what I'll um, say, various people, various members and my own friends have contacted me privately. To let me know that the things I'm doing, um, they feel that I'm doing a very good job, and they're happy that I'm representing Pikwakanagan in a good way. So that that means a lot to me, yeah. uh, because of course, Angelina, as you said in, you know, the first part of our conversation, you can't please everyone, and those everyone's certainly make it apparent they're very vocal you know, they certainly do um, try and, uh, well, make you feel as bad as they possibly can. And then on the next uh, hand, then you get gentle souls reaching out to you, letting you know what a good job you're doing. So, you know, it wasn't just one person, but it's been many people. Yes.
0: Yeah. And that's really rewarding as well to hear that. I think we often don't You know, one of the things I've often thought of chiefs, like presidents, you know, once you're a president, you're you're a president forever, like, you know, the president of the United States. And, but for chiefs, when chiefs are retired and no longer serving as chiefs, I don't often hear people referring to them as chief, right? And I feel that chiefs should be, always chiefs. Once you become a chief, I think you should always be a chief. And when you pass away, you should have a huge funeral like a president to acknowledge the work that and effort that was put into your term. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I find it's a way to honor the, the call to action to become a chief. Because it's lifelong. Absolutely. It's a very respectful
1: thing to do. And thank you very much for uh, mentioning that. Because that's how I feel about our past chiefs. To me, they're always chiefs.
0: Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so um, so I asked you the three questions. um, And what I want to, I want to talk a little bit about reconciliation. Um, You know, you've heard of the, the discovery of of bones in unmarked graves at former residential school properties, and there's been a lot of talk about um, reconciliation. And you know, since this, you know, just recently, the Pope traveled to Canada, went to the Treaty Six area and northern part of Canada to apologize what is your thinking on reconciliation um, the chief uh, the Pope's apology and moving forward in a healthy way
1: <clears throat> well I was not in residential school myself however, my mother was in a similar environment which, was an orphanage in Scotland, very um, mm. similar to the residential school system that we experienced in Canada. And although I was not in a residential school, I was in a Catholic school. So I know the experience that I had in that school, which was at times unpleasant. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the um, teachings from the Catholic Church are... Very well, disturbing in some sense because, of course, whoever wants to think about burning in hell for eternity, yeah, yeah, that, that, I mean, that's really darn scary, yeah. You know, uh, I got the strap for the very first time at the uh, you know, at this Catholic school, but at least we could go home, yeah, you know, we could go home every day, yeah. but to be in an institution where you know you have no support from your family Mm. and to be abused in that way well it's uh, it's unimaginable Mm. you know the scars that the children still have to this day uh, that they can't get over you know those those, uh, horrible uh, memories and to know that uh, there's some Little children that died, and we, do, you know, how did they die? Mm. You know, that's, a, that's a big question. Yes. How did they die? Was it uh, through the hands of, you know, the the priests and the nuns, or other, you know, childhood mm. diseases? Because I know back when I was young, you know, measles, mumps, rubella, childhood diseases, there was a high mortality rate. Anyway, you know, to to think about. All that, and then the intergenerational trauma that that has caused, and um, this is what the point I'm getting at: the fact that our parents never knew how to parent. Yeah. We we were then abused. Yes. You see, by our own parents because they were abused. Yes. That's the intergenerational trauma, not just by parents, but other people that were, you know had the similar experience of those residential schools. And I was, uh, you know, badly abused as a child,
0: Angelina. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that.
1: Yeah, by um, some people, you know, relatives um, and my mom. But, you know, there came a point in my life, and it was about when I was 37 years old, I was seeking because you know it really does damage you when things like that happen emotionally. Yes. you know when you when you're when you're uh, the victim of emotional and physical abuse. It uh, you know it, it it's difficult to have a balanced life because I used to think of it every day. Mm. Like yesterday those experiences, but when I came to pick Watnick on... And that's actually a reason that I came here was to seek healing and wellness. Healing and wellness is what I needed. And the only thing that made me well, Angelina, was by forgiving the people that abused me. Right. Which were, you know, my own uncles, some family members, my own parents. Mm. You know? So that's and and um you know, and I've probably uh, been, you know, not a great parent myself to my own children because of my own experiences. Right, you know? yes. So, yeah, and so the apology that the Pope made, I hope that some people, you know, were capable of forgiveness mm-hmm. and, and to be finally set free from that burden that they're still carrying.
0: Yes. Yeah. 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 I hope so too. I mean, I think a lot of people have felt some relief, you know, Mm -hmm. um, from hearing the apology, Um, but I'm thinking, I want to just kind of pivot a little bit and can we talk about, you know, looking at the future, some of the strengths, what is, I get the sense that your mom was a big inspiration for you. And what I'm asking is, as you look to the future, what inspirational, I guess, terms or sentence or ideas can you give to people listening? you know, and I, you know, some of your work ethics, you know, what created the success that you have in life to have balance and wellness, to be able to forgive, to move forward?
1: Well, that's a very good question. Um, To wrap it all up in a couple of sentences, I um, yeah, my mother was a a big influence, but so was my father. Although we were, you know, separated from my father, one thing I always admired about my mother: she never said a bad word about my dad. Mm. She she would always say he was a good provider, and that really puts a nice uh, thought into your head, doesn't it? As a child. My dad's my dad's not a bad man. So whatever happened between them, that's their business, you know. And uh, <laughs> you know, um, she was very uh, a strong person. She she had a good work ethic. My mom, as well, and um, I also uh, for myself, I was always paranoid about not having employment. Angelina, mm-hmm. because I relate working to obviously supporting yourself and buying food, having the things that you want in life. But I also um, relate hunting, obviously, to eating. So working to me is hunting. Yeah, yeah. In in, in other words, in a in a modern sense, because mm. if back in the old days, if you didn't get up early and go out hunting or picking berries, well, it's like uh, the the old saying, the robin gets the worm, the early bird gets the worm, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've always um, wanted to be a good provider like my father. Mm-hmm. So a good provider to me was working hard to give my own children the things that they needed in life and to not have to, you know, go to bed hungry or to worry about having a roof over their head or clean clothes to wear. Mm. So I, I developed a, uh, a work ethic, obviously, from my experiences in life. Yeah. Uh, because I I always actually uh, had a fear of becoming homeless and a bag lady. Oh. Because, of course, we lived in Toronto. And, mm. you know, in, in a city you see very, very... Sad souls who are not doing well. Some people are living on the street for a variety of reasons, whether it's addiction, mm. or lack of employment. So this was a, a scary concept for me. And, and when you're obviously in the city, what do you hunt? You can't hunt anything. Yes, right. Yeah. So you have to work, and so that's where I think that that idea came from. That I'm I have to work mm. all the time. You know, mm-hmm. uh in order to support myself and the family. So there's I think where the, the the work ethic stems from is just my experiences in life. Because at times we were very hungry. Mm-hmm. So we, we lived uh, you know, in the in the tar paper shack, no heat, no lights, no running water, and living off the land. Yes. You see. So that that was a very harsh way. To grow up until such times as we moved to Toronto,
0: of course. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's difficult in a different way. Exactly. Yeah. And so,
1: because of all the experiences, you know, that, uh, well, my own mother went through, my father, myself, when you start to grow up and you have children of your own, and I began to realize the hardship that my mother must have gone through mm. in trying to support us because in her day, they didn't have mother's allowance they didn't have anything. Mm. so It must've been very difficult for her. And so it was only then when I had similar experiences of having children, having separation, you know, emotional upset that I thought, well, my my poor mom didn't have it easy. So, you know, then I I began to put myself in in her shoes. Mm. And and of course, and I, I realized then, you know, I can't hold my mother um you know, at arm's length all my all my life. I have to forgive her. And I did. Yeah. And, yes. like I said, and and all my abusers. Yes, yeah. You know, I, I, I forgave them and that gave me the strength then. My life basically went up and I experienced happiness mm. and wellness mm. and fulfillment.
0: Wow. And success, actually. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It all comes together. Well, it does. Well, what what would the epithet say on your tombstone about you? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I know.
1: <laughs> well, hopefully that won't uh, be coming in, in the near future. Um, i i I really don't know i'd I'd
0: have to think about that one um, okay. yeah, there. I know I just sprung that one on you, but I thought, you know, <laughs> like as a funeral director over the yeah. time, you might have thought of it, but i I was thinking about that because I've been thinking, yeah, more, no, in the last couple of days, um, well, I just lost a nephew, he was forty two, and oh. he passed away a couple of days ago. And I wrote a tribute to him as a blogger and writer. I'm always writing about things. And when somebody passes, I often turn my mind to how they impacted me and other people in the world. You know, how did they leave the world different having been part of this world? And for my nephew, what I'm gathering from others is he left people with a sense of humor and laughter, no matter how difficult his life became, he was always able to inject a little bit of levity and fun into it. And um, so that's why the question is just that because I'm preoccupied with that thought.
1: Well, just in thinking about it, you know, because the funeral is not for the the person that's, died. It's the person, it's the people we leave behind. Yes. And I guess um, my spirit name is Ancadokwe, which is Cloud Woman. So for my children and my friends, I guess it could say I'll always be there. Just look up and you'll see
0: Ancadokwe, Cloud Woman. Yeah, no, beautiful. That is very beautiful. And that came to you. Like, yeah, that is so, and it kind of reminds me of a monk that I used to know, he's since passed, but the people called him Thai. He was a Vietnamese monk, and he always said, You know, death is is not the end. It's a transition. So our body transitions to something else. And he often talks about the interconnection with, you know, like the sun, the rain, the clouds. So when you see a flower, you see the sun, you see the rain, you see the clouds, and it's all interconnected. Without one, the other doesn't exist, you know? So it's it's a connectivity. And I think our life on Earth and our relationship with people is all interconnected and how we influence each other in a positive way most of the time. Sometimes it's negative, <laughs> But there are times when it's, you know, like we look at the negative as a challenge and strength and instill tenacity and really moving past it. And which gives us another dimension to who we are. So I think mm-hmm. we're pretty much in our time and time because I never like to leave the um, podcast too long. Is there Any sentiments or words, maybe question I didn't ask you, but you want to say something as you leave, I want to give you this opportunity to.
1: Yeah, well, I I was actually just reflecting on the the question that you asked me earlier about, uh, you know, what has anyone done for me? Well, throughout my life, you know, various people have done many, many uh, nice things for me. Mm. And, and I always uh, value that, that I've been very fortunate in my life. Yes. You know, I've, I've obviously I've had abuse as well, but I don't like to dwell on that. I have had, you know, very, even strangers have been nice to me. Yeah. 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 You know, and I love people and, um, yeah, it's, uh, life is beautiful. It is, indeed. It's a little And uh, clearly, as you can see, don't
0: be afraid to try anything. Yes. And I think that is a really nice way to leave because, you know, and and I just wrote about this recently where, you know, don't look at quitting or failure as, I mean, quitting as failure. Just look at it as this is not right for me right now maybe later mm-hmm. but you know when one door closes four doors open there's always absolutely. opportunities and just look for those opportunities be grateful acknowledge your blessings and and put one foot in front of the other and just keep moving forward make a difference in the world and serve others absolutely yeah <laughs> and so chief thank you so much for agreeing to to be interviewed t- today, I really, really appreciate it. And as I delved into the research and looking at you, I was more inspired each time. And I, but I have to talk to Wendy. And I'm, and I'm really glad we took this time and um, had this discussion. I think this this conversation that we've had, I certainly enjoyed it,
1: well, and well I'm did I.
0: sure others will as well. I hope so.
1: (laughs) They will. They will.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much,
1: Chief. You're very welcome. And uh, say hello to Alan. I will indeed. Thank you. Okay. Have a great day.
0: You too. Bye-bye. Thank you.